Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 20 uh, today. As we do that, I want to begin by asking you guys a question. The question I want to ask you is this. How many of you are planners? Okay, my word. Just like first service, we have a church full of type A personalities, right? You guys are very planning people. You got plans for your plans. Um, when, when, you're, when you're a planner, that means you think through the future and you want to script uh, your days, your, your hours, your minutes uh, to work towards a goal, to work towards an objective. And if you're a planning person, then this is your time of year. January is the time for planners. Uh, people who aren't planners aspire to be planners in January. When we think through 2013 and what you want it to be, you've thought through some objectives, some goals. You maybe, if you're married, you've sat down with your spouse and you've planned. Uh, and you're, you're thinking out your life. You know, last, last night, Kimberly mentioned to me, she's like, would it be possible for us to maybe have an hour-long meeting once a week just to talk through the issues of Robinson, Inc., right? Just everything around our family. Um, and I thought that was a great idea. She's a better planner than I am thinking about our lives. So we plan our lives. And with all the hands that went up, you plan your life. But let me ask you another question. How many of you plan your death? How many of you plan your death? Um, now, that may be a strange question to ask because there is a time appointed for each of us to die, and we don't know when that is. So maybe the question that I should ask is not how many of you plan your death, but actually how many of you plan for your life after death? And when you think about it, that's actually an excellent question for us to consider. You know, over here we have this, this little line that goes from the cross and it disappears up into the ceiling. And, and uh, if you were here last week, you found out this is not a zip line. I'm sorry for those who are disappointed. But this line represents time. And it begins at creation and it goes on into eternity. And if this line represents time, you might think of the different things that, that happen within time. There was creation, there was the, the beginning stages of the earth, and, and then there is all of the, the things that are happening in this current present age, and our lives are like a little dot on this line. Your life and my life are nothing but a dot on this line. And we spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort to plan the dot, don't we? But if we never plan for death, more particularly life after death, what we've done is we've spent all of our time planning out a dot, and we've forgotten about this long, long line. See, it is, is critical and essential for us to think and to plan for life after death. And I believe that's, that's part of the reason why God gave us the book of Revelation, to help us think about life after death, to help us plan for that reality. And you know what the reality is that when we think about life after death, most of us want to think about it in favorable terms, don't we? We want to think about it in favorable terms. That's why when somebody dies, we say they've gone to a better place, right? That's what we say. Because we want to think that the line is better than the dot. But is that really true? And how can we know? We need to look at the book of Revelation as it gives us some clues. You know, Andy Stanley wrote in the entrance 
to the introduction to one of his books, he, he says this. He says, the story is told of a Sunday school teacher whose assignment was to explain to the six-year-olds in his class what someone had to do in order to go to heaven. In an attempt to discover what the kids already believed about the subject, he asked a few questions. Teacher says, if I sold my house and my car, had a big garage sale, and gave all the money to the church, would that get me into heaven? The children said, no. He says, well, what if I cleaned the church every day, mowed the yard, kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven? Again, the answer was a resounding, no, no, no. He says, well then, if I was kind to animals and gave candy to all the children, I mean, he's pulling out the big guns, kind to animals, gave candy to all the children, and loved my wife, would that get me into heaven? And again, they all shouted, no. So the teacher thinks he's got them set for the moment. He says, well then, how can I get to heaven? At that point, a boy stood up in the back row and he shouted out, you got to be dead. The reality is there's a transition point that is coming for all of us where we will go from the dot to the line, and that point is death. But how can we be sure that as we make that transition that the line is better than the dot? How can we make sure that it is a better place? That ultimately is what I believe Revelation chapter 20, sections of it we're going to look at today are all about. Really, it's a book that helps us to plan for eternity, to plan for eternity. And we're going to look at that today with some select verses from chapter 20 and chapter 21 of Revelation. Now, before we dive into that question, um, I want to just quickly recap where we began last week. I think it's helpful when we look at Revelation chapter 20 and 21 that we understand where they sit in kind of history. Um, And we we talked about last week that if we were going to really boil down history in maybe an oversimplified way, there were some different regions and eras of history. There was the Old Testament time that that followed creation. Um, Then Jesus came and he died on the cross. That ushered in the New Testament times. These are the times in which we currently live. The next thing we could look to happen, as I understand Scripture, is that Jesus will appear in the clouds and the church will be raptured up to him. That will enter into a seven-year tribulation period upon the earth. These are the events discussed in Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 19, a seven-year tribulation or judgment upon the earth that will culminate in the return of Christ to the earth in Revelation 19, and then he will initiate his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years, and at the end of that thousand-year kingdom, there will be some judgments that take place. And after the judgments, they'll be ushered in a new heaven and a new earth. This is the history of the the world and the future of the world, as I understand the Bible to be teaching. And the events of Revelation chapter 20 and 21 take place in in the farthest two columns of this. They're the events that take place in the kingdom era, as well as in the era of the new heaven and the new earth. They're the things that immediately follow the return of Christ. And so, as we look at Revelation 20 and 21, we're seeing things that happen, and specifically today, we're going to look at some of the events that happen at the end of the kingdom era when judgment comes to the earth. And so, we're going to look specifically beginning in Revelation chapter 20 in verse 11. So, if you've got a Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. 
We're going to look at these verses today, and I think we're going to see a couple of things. The first thing that we're going to see is this. We will be judged by our works. We will be judged by our works. When I say we, I mean humanity. Humanity, individual humans. We will be judged by our works. Now, where do we see that? We see that in Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11 with a judgment that comes to humanity. Chapter 20, verse 11 begins this way through 15. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And in these verses, we see a judgment. Um, And this judgment takes place around a great white throne. There are two judgments spoken of in the New Testament. There's this one, which is known as the great white throne judgment because it's talked about at the end of the age. And there's also what's called the Bema judgment or the high place judgment where only Christians will stand before Jesus. But this is the great white throne. This is the judgment for all of humanity. And on this great white throne sat someone described in verse 11 merely as an hymn. It says in in there was him who was seated on it. I believe from other places in the New Testament, we can ascertain that this him was God the Son, Jesus Christ, um, who has the authority to judge. Others would look at this and see it as God the Father. I think that it's left a little ambiguous in this passage. At the very least, we can say that God himself is on a great white throne, and he's on that throne to execute judgment. As he's on this throne, it says in the latter parts of verse 11, that from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. All of creation is shrinking away at this throne. I think the reason why all creation is seen as as fleeting away is, is really twofold. I think on the one hand, we see this as the culmination of the age. I showed in the graph before that the return of Christ and the judgments that would follow that the end of the, of the kingdom era would usher in the new heavens and the new earth. And what we see here is that the earth as we currently know it, as we currently live in it, is going away at the great white throne. But I think another reason why it says that the sky and the earth are, are fleeing away is that there's no place to hide at this judgment. There's no place to hide. There's no more creation to hide behind. When you think back to the Garden of Eden when mankind first sinned, what did Adam and Eve sew together to hide behind? Fig leaves. Where did they hide? In the bushes. They tried to hide amidst creation to avoid the judgment of God. But at the great white throne, there's nothing left to hide behind. All creation is fleeing the presence of God, and all that is left is humanity. See, humanity who has died shows up at this point. 
Verse 12, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. On down. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. You see, at this point, those who have already died, those from our era, those from Old Testament times, humanity who is living at at, at this point is standing before the throne, and they're going to have to give an account to Jesus Christ for life. And as they stand before him, as humanity stands before Christ at, at the great white throne, what happens is a judgment. And that judgment that happens is on the basis of works. Look at it throughout those verses 11 to 15. Every time judgment is mentioned, it says judgment on the basis of what they had done. Judgment on the basis of their works. And this judgment is taking place as they're looking into some books. It says there are many, many books at this judgment. And they're being opened up, and the contents of those books are used as judgment against humanity. It doesn't say explicitly what's in those books, but I believe in those books are the names of every person that has ever lived, followed by a detailed account of all of our lives. And that detailed account will be the basis upon which we are judged. And that detailed account will certainly include our sin. And so there at the great white throne, all humanity is gathered around. There are books that are opened, and people being judged on the basis of what's in the books, which details the content of their lives, which details their sin. And those, because of the sin that is in the lives of humanity, People are judged on the basis of that sin, and it says they are cast into the lake of fire, which it calls the second death. We would also consider this to be hell. See, at this point, on the basis of sin, if sin is present in the lives of people, judgment comes and hell is to pay. This is exactly, I think, what the idea behind the oft-quoted verses in Romans are. See, in Romans chapter 3, we we are reminded that not just some are sinners, but all are sinners. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, in the first part of that verse, it says, the wages of sin is death. In other words, we are sinful people. That sin is known by God. And because of that sin, death is the payment. And the death that is the payment is a second death. It is a casting into the lake of fire. It is a casting into hell. That is the payment for our sin. Now, this is incredibly serious stuff, right? This is incredibly sobering stuff. So how do we begin to process this, and what picture maybe helps us to to grasp a little more of what's happening at this day? And the the picture that I've, I've thought of is that of a courtroom. You can imagine if you've ever been in a courtroom or or you've ever been around one, or maybe you've, you've watched a trial on television, you know that inside a courtroom or inside a legal proceeding, there's a court reporter. There may be some in this room who are court reporters. I found that out in the first service. Somebody came up and said, hey, I'm a court reporter. Wonderful. I didn't know that. So anyway, but there, there are uh, someone in a courtroom that is a court reporter, and it's the job of a court reporter to record everything that happens inside that court. 
They record everything that's said and all the details of that so that it can be preserved. If it's in a deposition, if it's part of the trial, whatever, there's a record that is given of everything that happens. When I think about these books that are, that are laid open at the great white throne and, and the names of people who are in there and the detail, what, what I think has happened is that there's like a heavenly court reporter that is with us all that is providing a transcript of our lives, what happens on the outside as well as what happens on the inside. There's a transcript of our lives that we will have to give an account for at the great white throne of Christ. And and here's here's what's amazing about that when you think about it. We are are banking the line on, on the point. We're banking the line of eternity in the, the fact that it might be a better place and that we might have a good transition into eternity. We're banking that on what happens in this dot. And the sad reality for humanity is that everyone's dot is sinful. And if judgment is on the basis of works, then what I've just laid out is a hopeless situation for mankind. And yet, Revelation 20 talks about judgment on the basis of works. So the question for us is, is there any hope? Is there any other way? I mean, if we're going to let this sink in and and let it marinate over us so we understand what's going on, we ought to be at this point going, surely there's another way. We just sang how God loves us. We just sang about the forever reign of Christ as a positive thing. What? Where's the hope in this? If Everything I've done, there's a transcript of, if there's any sin found, the lake of fire, where's the hope if judgment is on the basis of works? Well, that's where we need to see the second thing. And the second thing is that we can be judged by our works or we can be judged by His. We can be judged by our works or we can be judged by His. In verses 11 to 15, There are all these books. I don't know if they're alphabetical. God can figure it out. All the names are in there. He's got all these books with the names of all of humanity. But there's a special book. And it's not a book that is described in the plural. There are books. It's a book that is described in the singular. There is a book. And it is the book of life. And this book is quite different from the other books. See, the other books are used as a basis of condemning The book of life, as its name gives away, is a book on the basis of salvation or life. There are many books that detail sin because there are many people and all of us are sinners. But there is one book of life because there's only one who has ever lived, who has lived a righteous life. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. You see, we are tempted and we fail. He was tempted by Satan himself, and he stood strong. We would have to pay the penalty for our own sin. Jesus, the sinless life, offers to pay the penalty for our sins so that we might be saved. You see, the book of life has everything to do with the person of Christ. It says there was another book that was open. If there ever was a point in the Bible where you ought to stand up and cheer, here it is. Can you imagine the scene? All these books of death and condemnation. There's another book. There's another book. It's the book of life. 
If anyone's name, verse 15, was written in the book of life, they were not thrown into the lake of fire. See, the key to transitioning from the dot to the line has everything to do with getting your name in the book of life. It has everything to do with having not our works be the content of our judgment, but it has Christ's work to be credited to our account. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. If you've heard me speak before, you've probably heard me say this verse a hundred times, and it's because I think it's essential to understanding the message of Christianity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For our sake... God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. There is a book of life which details the righteous life of Christ. And if we are trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, in the books that contain our names, where the transcript of our sin, there's a stamp over the top that says paid in full and an asterisk that says see Jesus and this book is closed and this book is opened and we have the opportunity to experience eternal life. There is a judgment coming on the basis of works. Will we bank eternity on our works or will we trust in him? This is what is offered for us in Christ. And if we are trusting in Christ, then our line is a lot better than our dot. Because what we will actually be doing in eternity is is way more than we've even normally imagined it to be. You know, many times when we think about eternity, we think about what it will look like, we kind of describe it in terms that might be otherwise boring to us. You know, it'll be a, a, a for, you know, we will be singing forever. Well, some of you I know don't like to sing. Or we'll just be floating from cloud to cloud like some kind of a toilet paper commercial or whatever, you know? I mean, I, I don't, what, what is this picture of eternity that we have, that we sell, that we try to encourage each other with? That's not a better place. The better place is something much better than that. The better place is the opportunity to be a priest of God, to serve Him forever with all of his followers in the absence of sin. You see, when, when Jesus returns to the earth, he's coming back to reign, and he invites us to reign with him. Look back in chapter 20, verse 4. We glossed over these verses last week, but I think they're important to see here. It says, then I saw thrones and seated on them. This is, Jesus has returned to the earth. He's place Satan in prison, and he is reigning for a thousand years. But as he reigns, he's not doing it solo. He's invited some to help him in that reign. He says, I saw thrones, plural, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge had been committed. Well, who are these people who are judging and ruling with Christ? He says, also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, and they came to life, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That specifically in that verse, I think, is talking about the tribulation-era people who were martyred for their faith. That's not us. That's a set of people in the future. But they're not the only ones who are reigning with Christ at this time. See, when Jesus comes back to the earth, he didn't come back alone. He came back with the armies of heaven, Uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 and 14, tell us about this picture. When Jesus returns to the earth, Revelation 19, 11 says, 
I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. It says, And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. In other words, when Jesus returns to the earth, there's an army with him. But who's that army? Some have looked at this and said, well, that's probably talking about angels or something like that. I think a better answer is not that this is angels who are following Jesus at his return, but it's you and me who have trusted in Christ in this life are returning to the earth with him to reign. We see this in chapter 17, verse 14 of Revelation. It says, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And those with him are called chosen and faithful. The ones who are returning with Christ are the chosen and the faithful. That's those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, who have been chosen by his grace. We are returning with him. Uh, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 and 10, a song is sung that, that looks forward to the time when believers will be reigning with Jesus on the earth. It says, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and this is what it says, and they shall reign on the earth. When Jesus comes back to the earth, those who have trusted in him will be with him, and we will have the opportunity to reign. See, our, our line is looking better all the time, isn't it? If we've trusted in Christ, if he's the one on whom we are, are judged, if, if there's an asterisk by our name that says, see Jesus, then we get to reign with him. But even more than that, we reign with him, we reign with him in paradise. Chapter 21, verses 1 to 4, describes this new heaven and new earth in this way. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven for God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You see, our permanent resting place, the, the line for us, is not some cloud-to-cloud float. It's raining with him, but then it's raining with him, and that transitions into a life in relationship with him in the new heaven and the new earth. It's a return to the Garden of Eden for you and me, the place where God created for us to live in relationship with him, unfettered by sin. See, when we read Revelation 20, we're challenged to plan for our eternity. And as we, we think about planning for our eternity, I think there's some, some pertinent questions for us to ask each other. And I, I'm going to ask these, us these questions in relationship to our line. And as we do that, I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come on up. They're going to lead us in a closing song here in just a moment. But if, if our lives are represented right here as a dot on this line, many of us in this room in the space of this dot, have already trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And if that's the case, there's at least a, a couple of things I want you to, to think about and remember today. 
The first thing I want you to think about, if you've already trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, I want you to just to hit your knees. And when we sing in a moment, I want you to sing out incredible praise to God because we need to remember that Jesus did not save us just from the dot or for the dot. Jesus saved us for the line. God has plans for us, not just for right here. He has plans for us all over there. Jesus has saved us not just from this one point, but for eternity, to reign with him and to experience relationship with him. We ought to be praising God continually for the gift of salvation that he gives us. If we've trusted in Christ on the dot, that's one of the things we could do. But the second thing that I think we could do in this area is, is, is knowing this reality that mankind will be judged on the basis of our works and that one day there will be a literal throne and a literal judgment that humanity will undergo. We ought to be motivated to share the good news of Christ with others because really it is a life and death situation. We will be judged on the basis of works. Will it be our works or will it be his? If it's If it's our works that we're judged on the basis of, there's a lake of fire. There's a second death, the wages of sin. But if it's on the work of Christ, then there's paradise. See, as we respond to this as believers, those are a couple of things. But there are others who are here today that have never embraced the work of Christ for themselves. And this morning, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, You've been confronted with this reality that judgment is coming. But maybe today God is speaking to your heart and letting you know that no matter how good your life is, no matter how many of the things in the little opening story we read with Andy Stanley that you've done, um, it's not good enough. Because the transcript of our life reveals sin and the payment of sin is death. Are you willing to risk eternity? on the transcript of your life. It is a far better understanding to place your eternity on the work of the perfect and eternal And I would encourage you, if you have not ever done that, that this morning would be the time you would place your trust.